Well, I'll take that bet you're going to regret because I'm the best that's ever been. (laughs) Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. In celebration of Texas History Month, the Texas General Land Office ran a March Madness-style tournament to determine the greatest Texan. And if you've been listening, you've heard us talking about it for the last three weeks. Well, this week, we have a special treat and a very unique discussion with the man responsible for that tournament, James Harkins of the Texas General Land Office. Hello, Mike, Sean, and Scott. And welcome to the podcast, James. It's great to have you. Thank you for uh, letting me uh, join you guys. It's uh, I've been listening the last several weeks, and uh, have discovered some of your older podcasts too, and it's really cool to to talk to y'all. Well, thank you so much. So before we start today, our big opening question, James. If the greatest Texan was a decathlon-style competition, what do you think would be one of the events? Well, I'll throw one out there. How about the 100-yard barbecue plate carry? You got a whole sopping plate full of, uh, you know, you got your brisket and your sausage, your chicken, bread, some potato salad, some beans. Ribs. Ribs. (laughs) Heaping high, and you have to race down, 100 yards down the track. And uh, the the key to winning could come down. Yeah. (laughs) And it could come down to your your choice of equipment, whether you go with your standard uh, butcher paper or maybe upgrade to a custom uh, carbon fiber tray. (laughs) <laughs> I like that. Oh I yeah, like that. and I think the uh, I think you got to be competing against people to get a spot at the picnic table. Oh, so nice. you don't have to sit on the grass. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's true. Well, mine is uh, mine is a little more visceral. Uh, it's the Jim Bowie style multiple stab boom sandbar fight, uh, where you got to take a cane sword, uh, fourteen cane sword shots, and a and a couple of stabbings with a knife, uh, and see who's who's still standing at the end of the fight. Yeah, so kind um, of a jousting I, kind of thing. No, more just like a you know, just like a just a stand up brawl, like like Jim Bowie did okay. at the Sandbar fight. Yeah, yeah. I I think uh, Jim Bowie would have the advantage in that event. <laughs> he would. He would. I think somebody threw a, threw a gun at him too. Yeah. At at one point. Well, um, I'm going to go with one that uh, could be applicable and winnable by just about everyone. I remember seeing in that bracket. And that would be the howdy off. Uh, how graciously can you welcome a stranger to Texas? I oh, think any nice. any one of the uh, participants in the uh, the tournament uh, should be able to uh, compete on that level. And uh, I don't know, be interesting to see. Well, it's funny that you say that because several of these folks are pretty ornery. So I don't know if uh, all of them would be the most welcoming. <laughs> but you're right. Any true Texan should be able to welcome all y'all no matter what, right? That's right. Well, uh, you got me inspired with your barbecue choice, and I've been having a hankering for some Salt Lake um, barbecue recently, and as everybody knows, that's all you can eat. And so anytime I go to an all-you-can-eat barbecue place, I have to see uh, amongst my friends who can eat the most ribs. So I think a Salt Lake barbecue rib eating contest would prove who is the most Texan of mm-hmm. anything. Well, I'll take that bet you're going to regret because I'm the best that's ever been. 
So, uh, so which, which now is the, are these beef ribs or are these pork ribs? These would be pork ribs. Yeah. Okay. I don't, I don't, I think an all you can eat beef rib, uh, competition would be one rib. <laughs> that would, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Uh, all right. That's great. So James, welcome to the show. Um, before we begin today, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, I am the director of public services for the archives and records of the Texas General Land Office. And I think that means that I have the coolest job in state government because I get to play with all of the 45,000 maps and 35 million documents uh, at the GLO. And I get to go on the road and talk a little bit about Texas history and what people can do to help uh, conserve that history and why it's important. Yeah, so help our listeners understand, because we have a lot of listeners all over the country and all over the world, uh, actually, and uh, we help people understand, and even Texans, help us understand what the General Land Office is and what it does. Sure. Uh, the General Land Office is a kind of obscure state agency. Uh, we do have an elected official, a statewide elected official at the top. Uh, George P. Bush is the current commissioner. And uh, there's a lot of uh, different... Uh, areas that the land office touches, everything from veteran services to coastal cleanups, oil and gas, uh, stuff on state lands, managing state lands. Um, there's probably a couple of uh, disaster recovery uh, funding. And uh, what I think is the best part is uh, it's a home for Texas history. So all of those things really kind of on face value don't really necessarily relate to each other unless you know a little bit more about the history of Texas and the land office and how important land was uh, throughout uh, throughout our state's history and our republic's history and really before that and how uh, land really kind of was the common denominator for everything that was happening for the first 100 or 200 years and really how everything's grown from that. Cool. So what does so what does the GLO do in terms of Texas history? What is it responsible for? So uh, there's a couple of different things. Everybody, of course, knows about the Alamo and the GLO is the uh, steward of 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 the Alamo. Um, But originally what the land office does as far as Texas history is concerned is it's it's got a, a historic archive of approximately 35 million documents and 45,000 maps, uh, the oldest of which date to the 16th century. And all of those documents and maps uh, essentially tell the history of the public uh, domain in Texas and how um, Spain, uh, Mexico, the Republican state of Texas distributed that land uh, to all the settlers who were coming in, whether it be uh, the Mission San Jose in 1720, the first land grant that we've got, or Sam Houston, our uh, top Texan, uh, for fighting at San Jacinto, or uh, William B. Travis, uh, David Crockett, uh, and other Alamo defenders for uh, giving their life at the Alamo, or uh, Civil War veterans, or the railroad uh, in the later part of the 19th century, or oil and gas uh, companies in the first part of the 20th century. So uh, we've got documentation of all of those things uh, over the last 300 plus years, or almost 300 years, and uh, it's really interesting what you can find. 
we like to say that with 35 million documents, that's really kind of 35 million different stories because each one of them tells the story of how somebody came to Texas, why they came here, how they got here, and what they were doing once they got here. So it's, well, a, it's a pretty neat place, and not a lot of people know about it. So, so James, I think you are really talking our love language here. Um, when, you, when, you, when you're using these, so I, I mean, do you you actually have like Stephen F. Austin's documentation of the the of the 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 old 300 colonists and people and people you know land that Sam Houston may you know may own and documentation and documentation of the 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 land given to veterans of the Texas Revolution. You have that in your archives. You bet. Uh, there's a uh, there, there's a uh, gigantic uh, leather bound volume called the Registro, which is um, it's something like five or six hundred pages, and it is page after page of uh, titles given to Austin's old 300. And every single page is signed by Stephen F. Austin and Samuel May Williams, and uh, each each page is issuing a certain amount of land to those settlers. And then uh, all of the bounty and donation land grants that were given to veterans of the Republic of Texas and the Texas Revolution, they're all at the land office. Uh, and the reason for that is because land was the magnet or was one of the magnets that drew people to Texas uh, and drew people to join in to the revolution. It's what uh, they promised if we win this war, we guarantee that you'll have lots of land. And there's some really neat letters where there's uh, uh, soldiers who are writing back to their family saying, hey, uh, if things don't go real well, and they may not because there's 5,000 Mexican troops coming our way. We don't have any uh, ammunition anymore. We've run out of food. We're having to cut up our tent to make shoes and all this other stuff. If things don't go real well and I don't make it out of here, you're guaranteed a certain amount of land. And I want you to be aware of that in case we win this war. And in some cases, it's the last documentation that exists for those people. So back then, the last thing they're communicating to their family is, hey, you might get some land if we win this war. And that would be important to kind of carry on my legacy. Well, I can tell you right now that uh, uh, Sean is doing a little happy dance in his chair to get to talk to, to you. I, uh, I, I'm, it, I'm, pr I'm planning a way to. I'm planning a trip to Austin just to like take you out to Salt Lake and then ask you to just like <laughs> let me just like walk around <laughs> with. So, you know, you so can the plan you can, is you to get me into me. a meat coma. Yes, exactly. You can handcuff me. You can like put put gloves on my hands, whatever. But just let me like walk around. No, just kidding. Uh, well, uh, but, uh, you, you know, you, you, you say that, but we actually do welcome tours, uh, every day. Oh, so oh, if you ever want to come down, uh, we'd love to show you around. Oh my God. Yeah, road trip. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So James, what specifically brought you to the GLO? Was it, uh, something that interested you? Was it just a, a random job posting on the <laughs> internet? It's kind of, kind of funny. I was a, uh, I started out as an intern at the land office. I work in, working in their communications department on the Adopt a Beach program. And uh, the only reason I found out about the job was there was a girl in one of my classes in at Texas State who said, "Hey, do you want to go to a uh, to a job fair down at Strahan Coliseum?" And me not being a dummy, 
I said, yes, I would like to go with you anywhere. And, uh, <laughs> and whenever we were walking around the job fair, there was a uh, gentleman there who's uh, since retired who uh, jumped out at me and said, hey, uh, we're looking for interns. Uh, uh, would you be interested in uh, applying for, uh, for, for an internship? And um, it's kind of funny. Uh, I don't know if you all have seen uh, something called the Natural Heritage Map of Texas. It's got a bunch of animals around the side of it. Uh, there's an ocelot at the bottom, a little rattlesnake, a couple other things, a sea turtle down on there. Um, it's a huge map that's probably four feet across and four feet tall. Um, I walked into the land office and it was hanging on the wall of the person interviewing me. And uh, I started talking, uh, I started answering the first question that the guy had, which was, you know, something like, tell me a little bit about yourself. And I said, well, it's funny that you say that, um, that map that's on your wall, uh, used to hang in my elementary school, uh, for three or four years, whenever I was in elementary school in the early nineties, uh, in the early 1990s. And it was something that I looked at every single day on my way to the bus. And I, uh, had been interested in maps ever since then. And I hadn't seen that map for 15, 16, 17 years, however long it was from fourth grade to uh, whenever I got the job at the land office. And I just kind of stuck around ever since. And they haven't, they haven't gotten rid of me yet. And it's a, it's a great job. That is a great story. Wow. Um, Yeah. I I heard you mention maps a while ago and and maps are something that I'm interested in as well. So that's, that's really great to hear and interesting that that was what kind of got your your shoe in the door there. It's pretty cool. Well, we have you here. And the last three weeks, we've been talking about uh, this fun tournament. So can you give us Mm -hmm. a little bit of the history of what brought about the tournament? Sure. So uh, the Top Texan tournament is, uh, this is the fourth year that we've done it. Uh, We started it the first uh, year that Commissioner Bush was on board. He said that he wanted us to use new technologies uh, to Uh, reach out to the public and educate the public about uh, Texas history and what we were doing. And we said, we've got the perfect idea. We've been thinking about uh, hosting March Madness uh, for Texas history for probably three or four years before that, but we were just never able uh, to do it. And uh, whenever uh, his uh, commissioner Bush's administration heard the idea, they said, man, that's a really cool idea. Let's go with it. And uh, the whole reason that we did it was so people would learn a little bit more about, you know, everybody's heard about Sam Houston and Stephen F. Austin, but we wanted to let people know who James Earl Rudder is or any number of other of the 64 people who were on the tournament. It's just a way to, you know, educate people on Texas history has got a lot of Sam Houston and a lot of Stephen F. Austin. And it's got a whole lot of other people that not a lot of uh, people today really uh, know about, but they should because they're all, they've all been important in shaping how our state's been formed. That's awesome. Sidebar, we talked a while back about it. So Sean and I went and talked to one of the local fourth grades, uh, a whole unit on Stephen F. Austin. And it was really interesting just how 
boiling them stuff down for all the little kids is. But uh, this has been mm. a, this has been really well presented and and a lot of fun. And uh, I think the listeners have enjoyed yeah. and gotten involved. So what an exciting project! So thanks for doing that. Yeah. Well, so uh, uh, one of the one of the neat things is I'm I'm not sure if uh, you saw it on our uh, Facebook page or blog or whatever, uh, but there was a fourth grade teacher in. Uh, I think Vernon, Texas, uh, Kevin Hunter, who uh, took our tournament and he uh, blew it up uh, on an entire, it, it looks like it's a 10 or 15 foot wall and he turned it into a giant bracket and he had his students uh, decide who they wanted to defend to be uh, the top Texan this year. And so he would, uh, he gave them all a leading question to where they would have to answer, I choose blank to be the top Texan because blank. And it, uh, he said that he started it out as a warm up, and but he ended up turning it into a full blown lesson because uh, all of the students were just so engaged with uh, what the, who the people were, uh, why their person should be chosen. And it really kind of is neat whenever something that you're working on, uh, you get a firsthand account of people using it in the classroom and, uh, it engaging all sorts of students for all different reasons. And so it's been really neat to see how that's kind of gotten a life of its own. That, that wow. is an awesome, awesome story. I mean, that is, that is exactly what you want, you know, from these, this type of program. I mean, that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, so based on uh, this year's brackets, how were the Texans chosen? How, how were they selected for the brackets this year? Uh, so there was a committee of four or five people in our archives and records division. And we, uh, talked to a couple people over at the Bob Bullock museum, who's next door. Um, and we also took some submissions from the public, uh, through Facebook. And, uh, we had probably, uh, we had to add close to 200 names and early on we decided, well, we want it to be 32 Texas men and 32 Texas women. And so getting, you know, on either, on either side, it can be hard to narrow down 32 Texas men and 32 Texas women uh, for for something like this. And so we had a, you know, we had, you know, that probably everybody agreed on the top, I don't know, 40 or so. And then after that, those last 24, you know, you're throwing elbows and scratching and clawing for your people. uh, So they get in. And so at the same time, we also wanted to make sure that we uh, didn't only pull Texas revolutionaries or only pull uh, political people. We wanted people from all, from all different um, walks of life. That's why there's entertainers. uh, uh, I mean, Mary Kay is on there. Y'all in the Dallas area. She's, like everywhere up there. Um, there's, uh, you know, LBJ and lady bird who ended up getting in the finals. Um, you know, we wanted to be able to have a, a wide, uh, stretch of people, uh, including people, uh, some Texans who were part of Spain and Mexico and helped kind of lay the groundwork for the, for what we have today. Um, Antonio uh, Margal, uh, uh, who I remember listening, y'all discussing in the first uh, episode, who uh, 
I can't remember who he went against, but I think against uh, Stephen F. Austin, uh, he only got, and I pulled up the little thing, he only got 7.1% of the vote, but he helped lay the groundwork uh, for uh, all for the mission system in, in Texas. And, you know, that's an important, that's an important uh, thing um, that without him, Texas history would be very different. Well, and, and he, and he got 7% of the vote. So that means that, yeah. you know, seven people, 7% of people, you know, either knew about him or didn't know about him and were able yeah. to say, you know what, that's really important. So on your yeah. list of, on your list of, on your, on your full list of 200 people was, was the legendary Creed Taylor anywhere on that list? Uh, much like the Texas Longhorns, he would have been the NIT selection <laughs> of the 65th person. Clearly, <laughs> I, I promise you, you've got in your documentation stuff about Creed Taylor out out there. Oh, in yeah. the he he was one of the yeah. biggest surprises to us when we began this project of really spending every week talking about Texas history. All of a sudden, this guy yeah. shows up, and then. He shows up again, and he just shows up everywhere. And we we laughed about just okay. Well, obviously, at some point in the story of the the hurricane of Indianola, Creed Taylor or one of his boys is going to show up in the story. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. what's amazing? Yeah. What's amazing is that recently, in the last uh, six or seven months, we were contacted by one of his great great grandchildren, one of his descendants, who said he loved the episode. He's got the the book that's out of print that he wrote, and. And uh, so, you know, that was just that was really gratifying. He was he was pleased that we we have talked a lot about his his ancestors. Yeah. yeah. Well, I can imagine so, it's really hard. So, yeah. So, James, I wanted to uh, 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 let you all know I, I heard you all uh, bad mouth in uh George Strait and Willie Nelson. Well, they're alive. How dare they be in here? Well, they're, no, no, no. they're, they're the only uh, no, living no. ones that were in the brackets. Hold on, Let, let's 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 uh, let's address that elephant in the room. <laughs> I, I think that I think that speaking for my family, the the uh, the more egregious point was that George Strait beat Willie Nelson. Uh, that was the more egregious point than uh, than uh, that he was in the tournament. So. Uh, or that Willie yeah. was in the tournament. So, yeah, because we're we're Willie fans, at, at, at least that, around. Me too. <laughs> me yeah. too. Um, you know, I like them both. But uh, if I, you know, gun to my head, I'd I'd, I'd go Willie. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, you know, so you mentioned there's this big giant list. Um, it gets narrowed down to 64. Of those 64 that got chosen this year, um, were there any that you didn't know so much about personally that you were surprised to, to learn about uh, yeah the one the person who after i got a three sentence description you know we had to boil everybody down into three bullet points which is pretty hard for some of these people it, it definitely uh, is <laughs> um one of, one of the people who after i read the three bullet points uh that uh, uh that was put together was jane casno uh Jane Casno, uh, Jane McManus Casno Storm. She had a long, she was married a whole bunch of times. Uh, she has an amazing story, and I don't think anybody knows about her. Granted, there is a book about her uh, called The Mistress of Manifest Destiny, uh, but she's a person who has an amazing life. She was the uh, named in uh, court papers in the United States as the mistress of Aaron Burr. She wow. was she was a 
a woman who was a, she was the first woman uh, war correspondent to, and I think the first person to report from behind enemy lines uh, during the U.S.-Mexican War. She uh, really pushed uh, manifest uh, manifest destiny in the uh, Eastern newspapers. She founded. She and her husband founded Eagle Pass on the border, uh, and then she died on a, uh, a shipwreck from New York to somewhere in Central America uh, because her husband was the. Uh, was like a customs collector or something uh, for the United States. And the woman just had an amazing, amazing uh, life. And it's people like that. who's like, man, if people knew more about her. And she was, and she was born in Texas or. Uh, No, she was born uh, in the United States and came to Texas. Okay. Came to Texas after the, uh, after the uh, loss, after the divorce of Aaron Burr, a couple years later, she came to Texas okay. and started over. Yeah, and and that was one that stretched out to me as just a as a as a wow. I, I again, I like you said, I've never heard of this person, but an amazing life and an amazing mm-hmm. an amazing personality of the of her time because she was very yeah. well known and someone who's now forgotten, basically. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'll say this, uh, and then Sean hit it on the head there with the idea of surprises. In doing what we've done, there's been so many oh wow and aha moments that we have uh, learning about things. So doing this tournament four years in now, was there something in terms of the outcome that was a big surprise to you or some in terms of, I can't believe that many people voted for for a person or, or just something that happened in the outcome or the course of doing the tournament? Um, for the first, I think, two or three years, uh, LBJ made it to the either final four or the uh, final eight. Um, and this year, I think he was voted out in the first round. Granted, he had a little bit of a tough draw going against George H.W. Bush. Um, obviously, there's a familial connection to our land commissioner. So more more people associated with uh, who follow the Bush family are more likely to uh, notice that there's this uh, contest going on that um, President Bush was in. Uh, and so this year, LBJ was voted out in the first round, uh, and then his wife moved on to the finals uh, against Houston. And I was surprised. I, I don't know why, but I was surprised that um, Lady Bird um, did so well. And I was also surprised that Ma Ferguson did so well, <laughs> um, because she's kind of a infamous character. Uh, you know, uh, so it's, it was real interesting. The, on the men's side, I hate to say it, and y'all kind of talked about this at the end of y'all's last episode, maybe, maybe Houston should be retired. Um, and we've kind of uh, talked about that um, a couple of times, except third year Stephen F. Austin won. Uh, so that kind of threw us off. Mm. But, uh, you know, he, on, on the men's side, it's kind of, you know, it's going to come down to probably um, Houston, Austin, Travis, and maybe a couple mm-hmm. of other, a couple of other really, really notable big names, uh, you know, brand recognition, you know, the, the Nike of Texas history kind of thing. Uh, whereas the women's <laughs> side is completely, is completely wide open. And I had no idea how that side was going to go. 
Well, this is the the tricky part for us was is you guys found some great Texans that we hadn't heard of, which were wonderful surprises. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was interesting to see uh, the living amongst the dead in terms of of, mm-hmm. of having King George on there. Um, but yeah. and the other part of it is the fact that w- there have been so many interesting aspects. So I we we celebrate Sam so much. We. We and and Stephen F. Austin, but they do have huge mm-hmm. statues. So it'd be interesting to see mm-hmm. the the Eric Johnsons and some of the other lesser known, maybe more modern Texans get a shot in there. But I was we were really impressed Eric, with how Eric Johnson over Stevie Ray Vaughan is what you would go. What Ooh, is tough call. That's a tough call. Tough call. Then, tough man, call. You're, <laughs> you're really it's, and you're it's making not, this hard. It, I, it is we, not a, it, that is not a tough call in my opinion. But <laughs> we looked at it. But, well, we looked at it though. What was funny is talking about this, and and it's a salute to you guys picking these individual matches. They were very well balanced, and I, I know we said this before in the episode, but they're very well balanced. They're very interesting matches, and you guys did a great job of putting. Uh, highlighting some more obscure pieces of history, but certainly worthy of investigation. So you've, I know you've given Sean, Sean, and and the rest of our team here uh, stuff that we definitely want to talk about in some future episodes to talk about some of these really great, great. things. Great. Yeah, but when the brackets came out, I was I I was really I was very selfishly pleased that <clears throat> that we had actually had episodes or talked about. More than half of the people yeah. on the brackets, which was, which was really exciting because it's like, wow, we, you know, and some of them are really favorite, personal favorites of ours. Mm. Babe Zaharis Bessie was Coleman. one of our favorite ones ba- too. Babe Zaharis and Bessie yeah. Coleman. Like Bessie Coleman yeah. was a fan, was a great episode we did years ago. Uh, and, and Katie Stinson, Katie Stinson too. Yes. The, the, the match between those two, we did episodes on both of them and we were so mm-hmm. pleased because those are two people that we absolutely loved finding out about when we did those episodes. And now we're, we're excited that people found out about them through this contest. So mm-hmm. yeah. just, just, that was a, that was a whole great moment for, for us, you know, and, and, uh, yeah. uh, yeah, so it was, it was great. Now we, we, we gave you guys a hard time about Emily West because we did an episode on the yellow Rose of Texas and, she may not be a real person, uh, but um, but that's okay because or, she's or a real she, or she may <laughs> or she may right exactly well, but she's an important Texan and the, even yeah. understand that Sean is still in therapy for having to watch <laughs> the History Channel's Texas Rising. Oh yeah. And our and you can go yeah. back and hear our yeah. episodes where we we live tweeted and watched those things. So James, what's your favorite thing about Texas history? You know, uh, kind of the, I, I've kind of touched on it already. Uh, I work in uh, the General Land Office Archives, so I'm kind of predisposed to think of the the land as being the most important thing in Texas history and how it relates to really everything from the missions uh, that were established all the way up through NASA, which is kind of a weird uh, thing to think about, but if you think about how NASA was formed, uh, not only was L- LBJ obviously instrumental, but it took advantage of the um, of the transportation networks and the oil and gas know-how of the engineers that were in Houston uh, and along the coast, and they're in Houston and along the coast because of the oil and gas that are off uh, 
that are that's in the area and that is obviously in the land which is then uh goes back to at some point there is somebody who said this is where i want to live and we've got that documentation and it's kind of making those kind of strange connections between uh, a uh, land grant that was given to a veteran of the texas revolution uh, who happens to have a railroad uh, going through his property in southeast Texas uh, that was built with land uh, that was built and paid for with land in West Texas uh, so that uh, oil and gas barrels could be transported across the country. And it's really kind of neat how everything intertwines and everything is connected. So I guess the the connectedness of Texas history, which might be kind of a non-answer because it's kind of like saying, well, I like everything, but I do. No, I I think that actually meshes really well with uh, kind of one of the themes that we try to to carry through all of our uh, podcast episodes is just that, you know, Texas is big in a lot of ways. It's big Mm -hmm. physically. It's got big history. Um, but there is a sense of connectedness, you know, threads yeah. that run all the way through Texas from its very beginnings, from its uh, Spanish colonial days, uh, or even before that, uh, you know, the Native mm-hmm. um, Native American days, all the way up through the, the Spanish colonization and up through modern day. There's just these consistent uh, threads that weave in and out and connect. Yeah. I think I may have even left off the most important part of that. After you get to NASA, you of course have the Astrodome, which is the greatest <laughs> building <laughs> that 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 there is. Yes. Well, we get James, no argument you, from Scott and I on that one. Yeah, James, you, you made me you actually you you literally made me choke up a little bit when you said it. It's it's about the land and the connectedness because, like, I mean that that's that that that. You can't say it better than this. You know, Mike, just uh, recently over spring break, you went you went down to the Capitol building in Austin mm-hmm. uh, with your kids and your family. Oh, yeah. And and uh, James, I know you work we're very close to that building. And mm-hmm. um, and, you know, this last summer I took a trip through West Texas uh, and I'm, I was just thinking about that, you know, that that building, that Capitol building was paid for by the sale of land in the counties and mm-hmm. 10 counties in Texas to some, you yep. know, Chicago businessmen who set up the largest ranch in the world. Uh, and, you know, yeah. that's, it's, again, it's, it's about the land and the connection that, that the, that the threads of history have, you know, from, from lines in lines on paper in, in West Texas to, you know, a limestone building in Austin. Uh, exactly. That's such an important part of our, our state's character and our history. You know, Texas history, uh, we're all passionate about it. But uh, there's other things that we're passionate about that are Texas-related. Uh, so Texas beer and Texas barbecue. Um, hmm. Two of our most popular episodes were uh, surrounding those subjects. Um, I guess we'd like to hear uh, what your thoughts are. Well, I, I like them both. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm going to go out on a limb and say I like them both. Uh, you know, uh, I was a uh, before I came to the land office and for a little bit of time while I was there in my early 20s, um, I was a bartender. And so I've worked with uh, a lot of different kinds of beer and beer vendors and have learned quite a bit uh, through my uh, through my 
early part of my adult life. And uh, just as I'm sure you gentlemen have as well. Um, and what's really neat is the, uh, is the uh, craft brewing that's been going on. Um, I know in Austin where I live, I mean, you can, you can throw a dead cat in any direction and you'll hit a new brewery. It seems like, um, and, uh, you know, I know in, in the Dallas area, there's, there's several really good, uh, really good breweries going on. There's, uh, I think Lakewood is one of my favorites that have come down here and, uh, I forget who makes it, but the, uh, Dallas blonde is, uh, that's a, that's a good, that's a good drink right there. Yep. That's uh, you, uh, Deep Ellum. Yeah, Deep Ellum. Have you had Deep the, Ellum? Uh, yeah. Have you had nine hundred three, which is up in? Uh, I think is it Sherman, Scott? Yep, Sherman, nine hundred three. Um, I, I I have not had that one yet. Well, I would and also. I, uh, I need that. I need to add it to the list. Yeah, I'd like go out I on a vine and say, uh, "I'm out here in Tyler now." I'd look at what True Vines doing. They have a lovely one called Mermaids and Unicorns. Okay. It's all I, good. I think I think a, I think a friend uh, from Tyler, uh, I think I think he recommended that to me recently as well. And wow. the uh, the one that I am most uh, fascinated with right now, um, you're going to say, James, you're such a homer. Uh, but <laughs> the uh, in, in Houston, there's. Uh, no, I, different, different Homer. Uh, uh, there's, there's a, uh, beer in Houston, uh, made by eighth wonder brewery, uh, named for the Astrodome. Dome foam. And dome foam <laughs> is phenomenal. And, uh, if you're looking for more of a, a blonde, uh, a, a cream ale, that would be right at the top of my list. And if you wanted a, a dark beer, They've got something called uh, Vietnamese Coffee Porter uh, Rocket Fuel, uh, which is a uh, – it's called Rocket Fuel, uh, named for the Houston Rockets. And uh, that that might be the best dark beer that you ever uh, that you ever try. Well, I have not tried wow. that one, but I have um, four out of six dome foam in my refrigerator currently that yeah. uh, I picked up a six-pack the last time I was in Houston. So uh, the, 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 I, the I definitely am on board with that. Well, and I think yeah. I think that the, the Texas, the land of Texas and the character and the history of Texas plays into – the breweries, as well as the, as well as the barbecue, you know, the barbecue. Our character, of the barbecue, mm -hmm. is 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 based on the yeah. part of Texas it's in, and because, you know, m Texas is one of the few areas where beef is used predominantly because we had beef, uh, and it's yeah. it's probably the only area where mesquite is the primary wood that that yeah. that is used to smoke our barbecue because that's what we had. Yeah. But I think the beer, I think it's interesting the beer and the wine and the and the distilleries especially. Yeah. You know, the one of the big products of Texas, of course, is its wheat. And it's, you know, so, mm -hmm. you know, those are all wheat isn't such the critical part of both uh, beer and, uh, you know, the whiskeys. And then you yeah. know, Texas is a great area for growing grapes, as Mike is in Tyler and East Texas mm -hmm. is a great area for growing grapes. So I think, you know, Texas's Definitely. character can come come out in our in our in our products that we are that we are making and and I think that's a great at those are great ambassadors for the state you know it's not just Shiner anymore which we love Shiner but it's not just yeah. Shiner anymore it's it's so yeah. many other things which is fantastic so what I'm hearing is not only did God bless the character of Texans <laughs> and 
He also blessed us with beautiful cattle and beautiful wheat to give us all the things that your body needs to grow. Yes, indeed. Both in heart and heart and everywhere else. Yeah. And and I'll point out too that in addition to the amazing cornucopia of Texas-based breweries, beers and wines that are being made now, there are even uh, a lot more boutique spirits as well. So between yep. the barbecue, mm-hmm. the spirits, the fine dining, I mean, there's no argument. We, yeah. we everybody on this yeah. everybody on this uh, session and is going to tell you it's the greatest place in the world. Yeah, and James, you are you are in the epicenter of great barbecue in the state because I mean, <laughs> I, I agree. You, you, you could you could blow off the morning and just go sit in line at Franklin's uh, and wait <laughs> yes, for that's true. And, and, I, and I and I and I have done it. I have done it. But the secret <laughs> the the secret is to go around two o'clock, maybe one forty five. And you may not be able to get any ribs. You may not be able to get a full plate of brisket, but usually you can get a uh, tipsy Texan, which is a uh, sandwich that they've got. Um, that's got brisket and sausage and coleslaw on it. And um, it will be the least expensive way to get out of Franklin and one of the most delicious. Um, that's something I've learned and it's been a while since I've, um, I think Franklin has almost gotten to the status where, uh, if you lived in New York city, you don't go to the statue of Liberty until, uh, somebody visits. (laughs) And it's, I think it's kind of the same way, uh, for locals in Austin. It's, um, you know, two hours of waiting, but man, once you're there, uh, you're, you're happy and you are going to get wheelbarrowed out of there because you're going to order everything on that menu and, uh, you're going to enjoy every last bite. Yeah. Have you, have you been to the new, the new blacks as it blacks brothers that's down on uh, Guadalupe? Um, I haven't been to the one on the Guadalupe, uh, but blacks, uh, barbecue is obviously, uh, from, yeah. Lockhart and I've been there several times and there's been a couple of uh, other stores that have opened up in the Austin area down off of, uh, Oh, down by Zilker park. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, that, that is really quite good. Um, but again, it's one of those where, uh, man, it's so good. (laughs) Uh, but there's other ones, uh, Micklethwaite barbecue, uh, here in Austin is really quite amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another one up off of, uh, styles and switch, uh, which is really, really good. And, uh, that one I think is, is kind of a sleeper as far as, uh, barbecue places in the Austin area. It, yeah. I think it gets overlooked. And where is that? Uh, that's off of, uh, I think it's either Guadalupe and maybe 54th street or so. Okay. Uh, kind of in kind of that general area. Uh, if you get to airport, you've gone too far. Yeah. Um, well, hot well, dog. It you, sounds like it sounds like come and take it needs to come and get it in Austin for a little road yeah, trip with you, James. If you, re- if you really want to, if you really want to go on a road trip, you can. I guess you can get up early on a Saturday morning and go out to Snows in Lexington and and uh, get some barbecue yeah. out there. But uh, uh, that, uh, that that requires uh, some uh, effort. <laughs> I had I I was uh, at a conference in Corpus Christi one time, and I needed to. Then go, I had to leave Corpus and go, I don't know, I think to Arlington after that. And 
uh, there's some back way that takes you through Lexington. I said, mm-hmm. today's the day. <laughs> and I got there and there was nobody else in line. I said, did I just hit the lottery or what's going on here? And I walked over and they said, sorry, but we're only serving on the weekend. I said, oh, no, oh, this is the man. worst. <laughs> it was... Uh, yeah, I Go drove ahead. through on a Friday. I drove through on a Friday to see my brother lives in, in Weimar and we drove down there and I drove through on a Friday and I was like, oh, why couldn't we be here one day later? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, sad. it's like well, Alanis uh, Morissette said, isn't it ironic? Yeah, and that, that's a long drive from Corpus <laughs> to Arlington, by the way. Yeah, that's it, a, that's a of a drive. Well, uh, I will tell you that, that uh, maybe we're going to have to do a future follow-up episode with you around beer, barbecue, and uh, all the places <laughs> we should be visiting in Texas. Um, but For let sure. me ask you this, James, uh, just so our listeners can know, what are some uh, future projects coming up that you're working on promoting Texas history? Things that we should know about, be looking for, get excited about? Sure. Um, in September, we've got our 10th annual Save Texas History Symposium, Uh which is a really neat event where we've got uh, speakers from across this, uh, well, from across the country this year, uh, who are going to be talking about everything from uh, Pineda, who was the first explorer, uh, Spanish explorer, to map the Gulf Coast in 1519, uh, to uh, we'll have somebody talking about Zebulon Pike and his travels through Texas, mm. uh, which is a really neat story. That, that, uh, perks, that perks my ear up. My ears up. Yeah. Uh, which I'm going to get sidetracked uh, real fast. Uh, the GLO recently acquired a uh, atlas of maps made by uh, Zebulon Pike, and it was originally owned. Uh, the atlas was owned by Frederick Remington, the painter, and uh, we uh, conserved it because it was in fairly rough condition. And oh, so we'll wow. be... Uh, talking about that in the next uh, couple weeks or month or so, uh, kind of whenever whenever I finish writing uh, a little bit more about it, because it's it's such a fascinating story, uh, uh, Zebulon Pike. So that could be a good future episode for you guys. Yes, um, yes, that's. I mean, people don't know about Zebulon Pike that he was a contemporary of the Lewis and Clark, Lewis and, and Clark. that that expedition yeah. was was a was a, a simultaneous or near simultaneous yeah. expedition. And really, probably he was spying on the Spanish in Texas. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, that's such a fascinating story. So, anyways, we'll have somebody at the symposium yeah. talking about Pike, uh, and other speakers will talk about how the frontier was formed uh, by the Spanish, by the Indians. Uh, uh, we'll talk a little bit about uh, our last speaker of the day. We'll be speaking about kind of how the frontier closed. So really from the opening of the frontier in 1519 to the closing of the frontier uh, in the uh, 1880s with the railroad and uh, farming and all that. And then uh, HW Brands will be speaking uh, at night. So that'll be a really neat event uh, for people uh, to learn more. When is this event? When is this event? Uh, that'll uh, That'll be September 13th and 14th in Austin. We'll be having a grad student showcase on Friday where we're still searching for grad students to share their uh, up-and-coming research uh, with with the public. And we'll also be doing tours of the land office archives that day. Um, and one of the things that uh, has really 
been very popular at this event is we get with our land surveyors uh, who work at the land office today, and they show uh, people how pioneer land surveyors did their job 100, 200, 300 years ago. And uh, that's that's pretty neat. Uh, they have a chain that they let people pull and see, okay, these guys are having to carry this 20-pound chain around. <laughs> uh, that, that's really cool. Um, so that's uh, the next real big project. Uh, but then we're also working on, uh, in, Bra- in Brazoria County, we'll be having uh, a map exhibit called Mapping Texas going in at the in May sometime. And uh, that will be uh, 300 years of maps. Uh, that was an exhibit that was also at the Witte Museum and the Houston Museum of Natural Science and recently at the George H.W. Bush Library and College Station. Uh, there's also ongoing... And, and where is that Go going to be? And you said that's in Brazoria County? Where exactly yeah, is that's that going to be? That's going to be at the Brazoria County Historical uh, Society Museum, I think is what it's called. Okay. Uh, so that so that'll be real neat. Uh, that's that's an exhibit that's starting to travel around the state more and more. Um, then there's always uh, working with teachers to try to uh, get these uh, primary resources in the classroom. That's one of the primary jobs uh, that we're doing. Part of the Safe Texas History Program is uh, conservation and education. And uh, I mentioned the teachers who are doing a. Uh, Top Texan tournament to engage the students. Uh, we're also trying to get them to engage the students with uh, through the use of maps and land grant documents and letters and things like that. So trying to teach kids how to read cursive and all sorts <laughs> of good stuff like that. Hmm. Well, I'd, I'd ask this question just uh, uh, quickly for resources for teachers. Is there an online place or somewhere that uh, people can visit to find these upcoming events or find these educational resources? Um, at savetexashistory.org, uh, you can find some of that material. Uh, then at the uh, uh, glo.texas.gov, there's an education button uh, that's on there. And there's a uh, place that says Texas History. And that's where uh, various curriculum and uh, uh, teaching units are located. That's awesome. Wow. Well, I'll just say thank you for uh, all this hard work because these, these sound like amazing opportunities to experience Texas history. So, wow. Well, thank you. Uh, One thing I do want to say is uh, Patrick Walsh, who uh, works with me at the land office, uh, he deserves probably the most credit for putting together the the top Texan tournament. I I want to make sure that uh, he gets recognized because he's the one who picked the matchups and uh, really kind of made it all work technologically uh, to make sure that we, we didn't uh, start clicking and uh, get a blank screen. Uh, but he's the one who's, who kind of figured out what would be the most compelling first round matchups uh, and not be the most predictable uh, thing. So Patrick really did a good job on, on this. Well, it is a really, really cool website. So he did a great job. Fantastic. Yeah. I, we were thoroughly impressed and, uh, we got a lot of uh, enjoyment out of it, and we hope that uh, many others have uh, started digging more into Texas history because of it, um, beyond what they may or may not have learned in their uh, Texas history class. So after hearing all that, you gave us some good uh, 
options uh, that you're doing uh, later this year and in the future, but uh, what can we and our listeners do to help with your mission of saving Texas history? Well, uh, thanks for asking. Um, so the Save Texas History program has been around since the year 2004, and uh, it's our goal to raise approximately $100,000 per year uh, through donations and um, collecting fees on map and document reproductions. So you said that you like maps. You can get a copy of a map for 20 bucks and hang it on your wall, and 100% of that money is going to go into conservation of the original documents and maps. Um, we also encourage people to uh, make donations uh, to the Save Texas History Program, which is tax-deductible, and uh, really just try to get involved. We've got a Facebook page uh, and a blog that uh, we update uh, two to three times per week, uh, where we've got all of these stories that we've been accumulating over the years and making them available. Uh, probably some good source material for future shows, if I had to guess. Um, and uh, really, uh, Save Texas History, the whole reason that we're doing everything is to raise awareness of the documents and maps at the GLO and then to raise funds to conserve those documents and maps. Uh, we... Uh, don't receive any money uh, from the legislature specifically for conservation. And that was a decision that was made in 2000. And we're okay with that. Uh, we asked for, if we're not going to receive any money uh, for conservation, then can we receive our uh, permission to actually be, uh, be as entrepreneurial as we can and uh, raise awareness uh, market this stuff and get people interested. So, you know, we're not relying on taxpayers completely to fund the conservation of this material. Uh, we're, uh, and whenever I say that, I need to put a, an asterisk on this and say we do receive money from the legislature for things like the building, uh, folders, the uh, state of the art vault, and all that good stuff. So the state is certainly uh, paying. Uh, for the protection of these documents, but actually conserving them and putting them back together if they've fallen apart uh, is something that we're having to fund uh, through people purchasing maps, uh, copies of maps or copies of documents. And that's a good way for people to get involved. That all sounds wonderful. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, what an amazing job you guys have. We're, uh, we're all a little bit jealous of uh, the amazing artifacts of texas history that you guys get to work with and have collected well it's 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 really neat and um i mentioned that we do offer tours to the public uh, monday through friday come on in we'd we'd be happy to share those because we're just the ones who get to take care of it but it belongs to the people of texas that wraps things up for today you can find notes and links from today's show at brainstaple.com we'd love to hear from you so like and share us on facebook Follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to brainstaple.com and leave some feedback. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. And why not follow us individually, too? I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Sean with two ends. And I'm Scotticus. And if you'd like to learn more about what you've heard James talk about tonight, please visit savetexashistory.org, where you can learn so much about the fantastic work the GLO is doing for Texas. If you like this show, 
Well, tell your friends and leave a review on iTunes because that really helps us out. And if you'd like to support the show financially, please visit patreon.com slash texaspodcast where you too can become a come-and-take-it Texas Ranger. We hope you join us next time. And remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway.